You're listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. Grace Matters is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Andrew, North Carolina. And my name is David. I'm pastor for Creative Arts here. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. This is our second episode where we will supplement a previous conversation. Every fifth Wednesday, Grace Matters convenes to talk about something important, something that matters. Most recently, we met to talk about foster care and adoption. Our church has a heart for these things, and we support several agencies as part of our missionaries. During this panel discussion, we didn't get to hear from a couple voices that were really important. So Neil Manning, one of our elders, and I met with Brian Ratledge for lunch. Judge Brian Ratledge has been serving Wake County for just over a year. Prior to that, he is a graduate of Campbell University Law School, and that's how we got to know him when his family attended Grace Community Church. We're grateful to continue to have the relationship, even though they've moved a little bit further away and now attend a different church. So Brian was gracious enough to meet with us and give us his perspective as a judge, what it means for Christians to care for orphans in the foster care system. Hopefully you'll find this conversation as enlightening as I did because I really didn't know that much about what goes on from the judge's bench. Join us for our lunch conversation with Brian Ratledge. So, Brian, how long have you been a judge, and what, uh, what are your responsibilities? All right. Good afternoon, fellas. Long time no see. Yeah. Um, I've been a judge for coming up on a year. I was elected in November of 2018 here in Wake County, serve as a district court judge. Um, so district court covers a wide spectrum. It covers uh, all criminal matters that are misdemeanor. It covers low-level felonies, family court. Did he change that? Yes. Um, it also covers um, domestic violence, child support. It covers abuse, neglect, dependency. It also covers small civil matters. And so it's a very, very wide swath. Your proverbial traffic tickets covered in right. there. So. But they, so they could make a Judge Brian show in which you mm-hmm. just do with all those civil things? Could, could. <laughs> I don't know how, how, how well watched it would be. <laughs> but most of my caseload is family court, so I have three weeks of family court, um, and then I have a week of criminal court rotation. Okay. And so family court's broken down into different components. My caseload focuses on... Um, Divorce, child custody, child support, dividing up assets and debts, contempt, domestic violence. That's the bulk of, of my family court. So there's other aspects to that right. that I'm qualified to do, but I, I don't have that rotation. So. so is that something that you chose after you're elected? Like, how did that get to be up chief, that way? Chief district court judge decides. There's 19 of us in okay. Wake County, and so he decides based upon just what people's skills are, what the needs are, what the interests are. Um, and so it's it's good. So I'll have the, the, the family court rotation for a couple of years. And I'll either keep going or I'll rotate out. So they do that to give folks kind of a, a good give time to get experienced in it, but also being able to handle the caseload. Is family law where you practiced prior to becoming a judge? did mostly criminal matters. I, I, did, I did family law. Um, and then I, I stopped taking most of the cases, except for a few different types. But most of what I did before was in, was in 
district criminal court. So, so uh, the panel discussion that we had that uh, this conversation supplements was recognizing uh, the importance of foster care and adoption and the church's role in that. Um, I'm just really curious what your perspective as a judge is on just the state of foster care in in Wake County. Okay. Or and in Harney County because our church has you know folks in both, um, and we have we had some folks who expressed interest in wanting to foster and wanting to dom uh, domestically adopt. And so be really interesting for me to hear from your perspective what the state of things is. Sure. Well, obviously, I don't know what things are like in Harney County. Right. Um, in Wake County, so it's interesting, and though the, the sounds like the discussion that y'all had, I give you a little insight on the process. So, when a kid comes into the foster care system, it's as a result of being usually taken into custody by a Department of Social Services or right. Child Protective Services, yep. usually under the auspices of the parents or the custodial parent is either abusing, neglecting or creating some sort of dependency that's not in that child's best interest, or the parents acting inconsistent with their constitutional um, protected right. And so, you know, a lot of times you do have the proverbial situation where uh, you've got the, the methamphetamine, uh, you know, thing going right. on in the home. Um, and authorities find out about it, the kids are removed. Yep. So that creates a whole new process for whereby sometimes those kids are taken and they're put in the foster care system um, just for a period of time with the hopes of reuniting yep. them with the family. And that's yep. ultimately... Y'all have a great day. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. That's ultimately the goal. But that doesn't always happen. Right. Um, and so I don't actually, right right now, my rotation isn't in, is not in the abuse neglect dependency court. Okay. That said, I'm familiar with it um, and that I, I have an idea of what goes on there. It's a huge need, not only for folks to adopt, but also to be foster parents. Yep. Um, I don't know, that, I, I don't know any other way to say it other than there's always the need for qualified people who have big hearts and have you're going to be generous with their time and their resources because, yeah, it's disruptive to the family that receives that child into their home, but right. it's more disruptive for that child to be taken yeah. out of their home yeah. and placed with strangers that they don't know. And so, uh, sadly, you do see situations where, um, and I will occasionally have things that come into my courtroom where somebody... Maybe the kids have been in foster care, but now they're being reunited with, they, they got reunited with their parents a couple years, and now the parents are going through a divorce, and they've got a custody matter. So it doesn't always directly come into my courtroom, but um, you see the, the fallout from it, or you can. What made you decide to get into to law, or is there an attraction to this particular area for you now? Um, you know... It's funny, I, I'd wanted to go to law school, um, you know, when you're younger you think it's all about being, you know, on TV and winning a jury and those type things. I really did want to help folks in times of kind of crisis, um, because before I went to law school, you know, I had a, I had a background in full-time ministry for, for a few years, and so um, 
but I, and so it's funny. As a lawyer, you have people that come to your office and you know they want you to put all the pieces back together. Just like a lot of times you have that, as I'm sure you all see. Yeah. You know, in yeah. Um, but I think the irony is that I really what made me want to take the leap and, and, and run for judge, and I'm, I'm ex still excited uh, to be where I am. Is that you know I grew up in a lower working middle class family and neither of my parents had college degrees and a lot of times when you're in the courthouse at least with the type of cases that come through that I deal with you have a lot of just ordinary folks it's your neighbors it's your your churchgoers that come to y'all's church um, that, that go through divorces they go through some of them get DWIs some of them get drug charges and so I like just dealing with ordinary people as cliche as that may sound, because for most people, their experience with the legal system is in district court. Most people, their case doesn't go all the way up to the Court of Appeals right. or to the Supreme Court of yep. North Carolina, much less the U.S. Supreme Court. So most people deal with the, with the courtrooms, one of the courtrooms that, that I'm in. What do you think is different about... Uh, your perspective as a Christian compared with one of your colleagues who may not be a Christian. Mm. How do you think that comes to bear? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know that I could speak to what my colleague right. may look at, but I know in the morning when I'm getting up, I really try to approach each day and say, all right, God, you put me here. I want to be faithful yep. to, to where you put me yep. and to be a servant, not just to you, but to the people of Wake County um, and really trying to, to, to discern wisely. Being in my, in my role has given me a greater appreciation um, for discernment yeah. and wisdom because there are times when you feel like Solomon and somebody's asking you to split the baby. It's tough to tell who's telling the truth and who isn't. Um, that is not easy. Um, and it does weigh on you. We're all human. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, one of the things I really try to look at is, you know, Lord, I want to be just an extension of you. I, I want to judge wisely and righteously today. Um, because that's what, that's what folks want, but it's also what they need. Yep. I don't know if that answers your question no, at all. Um, um, I wonder, you know, in, in in interpreting the law and applying it in judgment, I would I would guess that as a Christian, under God's you know example of perfectly righteous judgment, we have that example already as Christians. But then, I wonder in the interpreting process, if like the grace and mercy that you've received as a believer adds a nuance to your your methodology for interpreting the law. Mm -hmm. Like if you're maybe more prone uh, to see moments for grace or mercy. Sure. I think that, that can be the case. Um, by no means do I think uh, am I a pushover in criminal court or anything like that. Right. No one asked me. Yeah, and then most people... But, you know, it's funny because the irony is is that when people are in a courtroom, first of all, no one's really happy. I right. think that's kind of a given, <laughs> but it's really true. No one is happy. But 
So folks seek justice. Not even the lawyers? Truth, not even the lawyers okay. a lot of times. Okay. Folks seek justice, <laughs> but at the same time, we also, on the flip side of that, is our, our, our legal system can't handle the max sentence for every offense. Mm. Huh. There, there's just no... We, we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, we don't have right. the yeah. space for everything. And so judgments a lot of times are tempered with grace. Um, and, and I think they should be yep. because at the end of the day, we're all human. That doesn't mean that folks walk away from their content. You know, one of the best things I heard years ago is a man say, you know, you, 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 get, really, you get to pick your actions or you pick your consequences, but you don't pick both. And I think that well, gets good. lost on a lot of people. It's a great parenting tip, by the way, I might add. You get your actions, you get your consequences. If, if you know, I don't get to eat, you know, the Hershey bar and then tell my body that the 740 calories doesn't go to my waist around, right. around my stomach. Yep. If I don't want that to go around my stomach, I might not need to eat the whole Hershey bar. But yeah. we don't get both. And I think that's what I see a lot of times in court is a lot of times you, you see folks, they want to pick their actions, but then they also want to pick their consequences. And it doesn't work that way. Hmm. I've got a couple questions. And sure. You, you may not want to answer them in your position, but sure. that's fine. Um, first is, what do you see as the, the largest or an upcoming challenge for the church today, legally? Hmm. I... Boy, I would probably have to. You've asked me a really good question. I would have to chew on that. I mean, <laughs> you should have emailed it, that it, one before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, my, my my best guess would be probably the things that are pending at the Supreme Court with sure. with with different. You know, do do what sort of freedoms do churches have in terms of? their ability to speak on issues or how they make their property available for public use. Um, You know, you see different towns, you know, that that have ordinances or cities that have ordinances that um, restrict the church's ability to say certain things or restrict the church's ability to use its land. I see that being a hot button issue, but that's way outside of my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> but those very, big, very fair question, though. I mean, but those big cases that um, make it to the Supreme Court start in lower courts. They do. Thankfully, are, huh. thankfully, yeah, they're yeah. they're way above um, they're way above my pay grade <laughs> and deal with with much smarter people. Mm. Um, How quickly yes. does something like that move? Like it seems to me that it's relatively slowly, but like. If something came to you that ultimately got appealed and moved, like, how quickly do those things happen at the first that first step? Well, like if I, so, so for example, in family court, if I decide a custody case between you know mom and dad have been married and then they divorce and they've got kids and they don't like it, then they can appeal that directly to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Okay. They have their own timeline of when. Um, of what that appeal process looks like. And then you have to file briefs and everything, and they schedule it. If the court decides to hear you, they'll schedule it for oral arguments. 
and then they'll issue an opinion. Is that like sometime two months, months out? Well, you two got, weeks out. You've got, you've got, a, you've got. Once you, once I issue my order, then they've got a, they've got a narrow timeline in which they've got to appeal it. Okay. If they don't appeal it, they've lost it essentially. Yep. And then, but once they decide to, once once they timely appeal the case, then the court of appeals has its own set of tracks to run on. Yeah. And then how that unfolds depends upon whether or not their case would get heard by the North Carolina Supreme Court. So to put things in perspective, I had a case that was in my court yesterday that an attorney handed to me, um, and I noticed, like, this is... The, parties had separated, they had to divide up assets, it was a five-year-old case. And I said, why is this taken? And she said, oh, because early on, in one of the early steps, one of the parties appealed, and it's been two years in the process, and that just got handed back down. So, depending on what it is, it can be, it's not unusual for a case to take two years to work through the appeals process. Not unusual at all. So, to to come back to... Our, our core topic, as it were, there could be children in the foster system whose cases for custody or for you know abuse or whatever are pending for two plus years. Could be. And they're just in limbo. Sure. While those things are processing sure. through the courts. But you know, I will say this, and this this is where I think folks can make a difference in the foster care system. Um, or, and or in adopting a child who's coming out of that. So not just providing temporary support, but long-term support, is that it can be one of the few courtrooms and the few avenues that though where there's some tragedy and disappointment and a lot of hurt, there can be a happy ending to that. You don't get a happy ending a lot of times in a driving while impaired case. You don't get a happy ending most folks in point of view in a divorce case. But you know, you can have in the foster care system, if there are good folks who are helping and want to be involved. Um, and it's kind of nice because I see on my Facebook feed folks from different quadrants of the state who have either gone through the foster fostering system or who are in it now and trying yeah. to serve. And you see, hey, they're trying to make a difference. I think that's the big difference in that courtroom that y'all are talking about. Yeah. Is that you do get an opportunity for there to be some joy, somebody that gets to be part of a family now, whereas once they weren't. Because not everybody not everybody gets in a situation where they're taken out. It could be a situation where they come from a single parent home and that lone parent has since died. Right. And they've got no family. They're a good kid, um, yeah. but for some reason they're not adopted. Yeah. Um, nobody are there in foster care indefinitely. But sure, yeah, cases can spiral on yeah. for a couple of years. For sure, that's not unusual at all, David. Folks are, you know, and this is it's available out there. But if folks are interested in fostering or adopting. They need to get in touch with their county department of social services or child protective services and start the process, the application process. To that screens them, that vets them. They have to have an in-home visit. They have to say why they want to do this. Um, but look, when folks start the process, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to commit themselves to to be in 
a foster home for forever, uh-huh. it doesn't mean that they're going to, they, they might realize, hey, this isn't for us. They may, they may sign up and then it might take six months or it might take a year and a half before they get a child. But if that's something that they're interested in doing, apply. There's no reason not to do that. Um, that's good encouragement. As, and as and Grace, on that, Grace has been intentional about uh, carving out a little bit of space in the budget every year for uh, support for folks who want to adopt or go into foster care. Like there's okay. some funds available for people who need to pay for any really? application fees. Um, there's a couple times where folks have gotten a placement and they needed to quickly buy, you know, car seats and clothes and there's money that our church has budgeted to support that and so it's helpful to have another opportunity to remind people about that budget line <laughs> that if you have not if aware that y'all did that yeah like if you need money to pay for application fees it's there because we want mm-hmm. to support and encourage uh, the process of fostering and adopting mm-hmm. there's a shortage there's a huge need mm-hmm. I mean it's stunning but when we think about our upcoming holidays and our Thanksgiving and our Christmas, right. we, we just naturally tend to think of where we're, what table we're going to be at yep. and what we're bringing. It's stunning to think that you got six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 16-year-olds that are out there. They don't know where they're going to spend Thanksgiving. Or when they do, are they just going to feel like the third wheel? Yep. Um, so there's a huge need for folks to be involved in foster care, folks to participate in adoption if they can, if they feel called and led to do that. Um, so. Yeah. Thanks for sharing and raising those, uh, those ideas for us. I've got some... I've got a couple of attorney friends that are doing, that are making themselves available in other parts of the state for, for fostering. Wow. I think it's worked out well. We'll see. I was looking at the Wake County numbers uh, a couple months ago. I think the 20, 2017 numbers had something like. Uh, Nearly 200 kids within the county system, and within the year, those coming and going may shift 40 or 50 within that year. Does that sound? Honestly, I don't know the numbers. I know it doesn't surprise me. It's in triple digits at all. I mean, I know, um, and and it's funny because even when I ran into that uh, staffer yesterday, who who references the ceremony. Even she said, "This is an opportunity for there to for, for it to be happy." And it really, it got me thinking later, just going, "Yeah," because I know in my courtroom, yeah, edit that out, this out. But in my courtroom, there's not a lot of happiness because people are dividing up their homes, or right. dividing up their cars, or dividing up their time with their kids. Um, and so, if you think about it, it really is true. And I, I. I I even know from the past that up on the clerk's on the 12th floor, they love seeing adoptions finalized up there. <laughs> it's the one thing that ends well because everything up there is people's homes being foreclosed on or somebody has died and you're opening up their estate. So 
when a dossier is finalized, it's a big deal. Really a celebration. And it is. Thank you for joining us for lunch again, as it were, as we spent that time with the Honorable Brian Ratledge. I hope that you were informed as much as I was as I sat through that time, hearing from Brian's perspective, being encouraged to be involved as both a citizen of Wake County specifically, but also as a member of the body of Christ. We hope that you're encouraged to continue to have conversations about these things. Uh, foster care and adoption are serious issues, serious enough that the church should be involved in seeing the kingdom of God manifest by showing love to the orphans. If you have any questions about Grace Community Church or about Grace Matters, please go to graceccnc.org for more information or send an email to gracematters at graceccnc.org. If you have a specific question for Neil or for me or for any of our panelists or guests, we would love to interact with those questions. So please send them along. And until next time, You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.